Night Talk. Giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. Monday to Thursdays, 10 p.m. Good evening. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. It's an absolute honor and pleasure being in your company. And we'll do this every night between Monday to Thursdays from 10 to midnight. And today is no different. Coming up on the show this evening, we're going to start out. Yesterday, uh, you may have missed the depth of it in the news cycle. You may just have caught the headline. But yesterday, uh, an appeal judgment uh, coming out of the Gauteng High Court uh, Division, the the Johannesburg Division of the Gauteng High Court, um, Johannesburg North Division, that is. The judgment between Mazzotti uh, Group, the Mazzotti Group, or in this instance, technically speaking, Mazzetti Management Services and uh, Ameti Holdings as the first and second uh, applicants over there. This would be Zunaid Motti's companies uh, and Amabungane, the investigative journalism outfit. Uh, yesterday, the appeal judgment in that matter came out and Judge Sutherland penned the appeal. I have only today managed to be able to read the judgment, and it's an incredibly important judgment. We're going to be speaking about that judgment in this very, very short while. What is at the center of this case? Well, Amabungane was investigating the Motti Group and Adrian and, and, and Zunate Motti, my apologies, and in the course of their investigation, got a hold of internal documents of the Motti Group. And based on those documents or based on the information contained in some of those internal documents, posed some questions uh, to Zunaid as well as the Motti Group. And instead of answering the questions, the Motti Group decided to uh, impugn uh, Amabungane for their uh, approach to this, saying that you guys are in possession of stolen documents. Uh, we need to we need to see the documents. We need to know who your sources are. And Amabungani said, "No way. We're not going to do that. Uh, journalistic integrity allows uh, in, in one it places an imperative on us to hide the identity of our source, right? As typically is the case in investigative journalism. And as a result, we will not disclose to you which documents we obtained this information from." And secondly, we will not tell you who our our source is. Later on, it became revealed in common cause facts who the source was. What's still not common cause, what's still not disclosed, is what the documents are that Amabungane relied on in their investigation and in their um, and in their articles that they wrote, and of course the questions that they had posed to Zunate Motti and the uh, Motti Group uh, group of companies. Uh, the Motti Group of Companies then decided, a week after the first set of articles were published by Amabungane, uh, they then decided to seek an ex parte application uh, to the court, barring Amabungane from publishing any any information or articles on that are based on the documents they have in possession because they claim that these are stolen documents. A number of questions that secondarily arises from this. It is... What are the limitations to privacy and confidentiality when there is an argument to be made about public interest? The court evaluated in part that question. But at the center of this is court procedure. The ex parte application is what Judge Sutherland seemed to have criticized the most in this particular judgment. The judgment, of course, went in favor of Amabungane uh, in in, in their uh, appeal of this. I'm going to be speaking to the attorney of 
the Motic Group of companies in a very short while. That is Ulrich Ru of Ulrich Ru and Associates. And then a little bit later on, we're going to be speaking about the uh, um, the um, Employment Equity Amendment Act. Why is it so contentious? It's not a new piece of law. It's a piece of law almost as old as our democracy. But why is it so contentious this time around? What are the amendments that are proposed and why are they significant? Has this been a successful piece of jurisprudence in turning around the uh, the inequality, racialized inequality disparity in the job market in South Africa? Of course, we know what the stats are, that by and large, it is still single-digit unemployment amongst white people in South Africa, while unemployment amongst black people is in excess of 40%. And if you look at youth groups in particular, you're looking at numbers in excess of 50%. Senior management and executive positions are still the preserve, it seems, in South Africa, of white men in particular. We haven't been able to turn that around despite there being an Employment Equity Act and despite various amendments having been made to that act over the years. What is so different about this particular amendment this time around? President Ramaphosa has already signed the amendment into law, but he has not announced the date from which this new law or the amendments to the law will take effect. Some of those amendments include giving increased discretionary powers to the Minister of Labor and Employment in setting numeric targets that certain sectors and industries should be reaching and, of course, companies operating in those industries. We're going to be speaking about that just after half past 10 this evening. So stick around for that conversation, critically important conversation. You can be a part of this conversations on 086-000-2032. And if you're looking to send me a WhatsApp voice, it is 614 Tweet me, it is at Oliver underscore speaking on Twitter, Oliver Dixon on Facebook. On the other side of this, I speak to Ulrich Ru. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. 12 minutes after 10 p.m. Ulrich, good evening and welcome to Night Talk. Ulrich? Yes, can you hear me? Fantastic, now I can. Good evening and welcome to the show. Really do appreciate your time this evening. Of course, you would have read through the judgment and no likely are consulting with your client in terms of taking instruction from your client about what to do going forward. Uh, you, your client may at this stage uh, be considering an appeal. But from the reading of the judgment, it's quite clear that um, that Judge Sutherland thought that your application from the onset was fraught with irregularity in that it was an ex parte application that did not meet ex parte requirements in law. Um, an ex parte application, I understand to be, and you can correct me on this, is an application that you lodge with the court in an instance where you do not want the respondents or the potential respondents or the people you're seeking the order against to know about the application, and they only find out about the application once a court order has been issued on the basis of that application and had, and if in the instance it was successful. That is the application that was sought here. What was the legal reasoning and rationale behind specifically seeking an ex parte application and not just an ordinary urgent application? Hi, Oliver. Yes, thank you for having me. So the reason for bringing the, the application, the interdict, on an ex parte basis was because of the fact that we had been, or our clients had been engaging with Amabungani regarding their possession of the stolen documents. Yeah which was stolen by an erstwhile employee of our clients. 
Um, and Amar Mungani had confirmed to us that they were in fact not in possession of these documents. Um, only then to attach two numerous articles which they published some of these stolen documents, um, which of course uh, flied in the face of their undertaking that they were in fact not in possession of the documents. Yeah. This prompted an ex parte application, and uh, the, the argument behind that is what was that it had to be brought on an ex parte basis because um, of the threat that the documents would be disposed of or destroyed should they be uh, given notice of the application. So an application is brought on an ex parte basis if there is reasonable belief that uh, irreparable harm will be suffered if the opposing party is given notice of the application. Yeah. So we brought the application ex parte, and the judge in the South Gauteng High Court, in front of who we brought the application, felt that there was merit in the application and, and granted the order. Uh, he felt that there was merit in our argument that the documents might then be disposed of uh, in order to substantiate Amabungani's claim that they were in fact not in possession of these documents. Uh, and and the, the judge found that there was merit and accordingly granted the order. That order was then set aside by uh, Judge Roland Sutherland's order yesterday, in which he felt that the, there was no need to bring it on an ex parte basis. Um, interestingly, though, uh, and as alluded to you by by you in your intro, um, was the fact that Judge Sutherland did not really deal with the merits of the case uh, and, and mostly dealt with the procedure that was followed in order to obtain the interdict from the outset. Yeah, I mean, he did uh, he did comment on the merits of the case, right? And of course, uh, felt that there was a need to reiterate uh, the importance in protecting journalistic freedom, especially in protecting sources and sources of information, as well as the actual uh, documentation of the information. Uh, it would would have made sense to me seeking an ex parte application if the order you were seeking were to be against a competitor uh, 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 of the Motti Group, right, or any of its subsidiaries and its companies, or an adversary of the Motti Group. But here you were seeking an ex parte application against a media, a news media outlet, one that is recognized as such, and you know this as well as I do, that the media um, is not held to the same standards of evidential uh, of evidentiary burdens as though the NPA or a statutory investigative outfit right uh, it doesn't matter how the media gets a hold of its information it often relies on whistleblowers as was the case in the Motti group uh, it's 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 its former attorney Fanikerk um, now fashioned as a whistleblower had made these documents available to Amabungani whether or not he stole it that is immaterial to to Amabungani's quest for seeking justice right Judge Sutherland so mentions in paragraph 6 of the judgment. Uh, I do want to read an excerpt of that part just to make it clear uh, the basis upon which I am posing this question to you about for legal consideration, of course, that is. Uh, Judge Sutherland says the functions of the courts in holding an appropriate balance between the right of privacy and confidentiality in private matters on the one hand and the public interest in a free flow of news and especially news exposing skullduggery on the other hand is a well-traversed terrain. How the courts go about doing so is contrary to popular is how the courts go about doing so 
contrary to popular belief, is quite unspectacular. Everyone is entitled to expect the courts and the process of the courts to afford them fair treatment. The law and the rules of the court provide the scaffolding for that aim. He then goes on to say the elephant in this case, of course, is not press freedom and the violation of privacy. Why then was there still a need to seek a gag order effectively, given that you were not dealing with a competitor or an adversary, you were dealing with the media? Well, if the documents are in the possession of the media, then they're on the public domain. So then they are freely available to any adversary or competitor, as you put it. Um, the fact of the matter is that Clinton Fonica, and as you rightly put it, uh, it has not been um, uh, you know, argued whatsoever uh, that he is, in fact, the, the source of Amabungani. He is an erstwhile employee of the Motley Group uh, and of Mazeti and Ameti, who are the companies who brought the application. Yeah. Um, and upon his departure from the groups, he uh, unlawfully downloaded confidential information from the servers of the company and then uh, uh, firstly handed it to a competitor of the Motley Group of companies who then supplied the media with it. He has not been classified as a whistleblower. He's also not protected in terms of any public disclosure act. Um, so he's not seen as a person who is in in uh, uh, witness protection or neither has he been classified as a whistleblower. He is a disgruntled employee and he unlawfully downloaded documents which belong to his erstwhile employer. Uh, a criminal charge was laid against him in November 2022 already in this regard when the theft of the documents became known to the Motley Group of companies. Um, you know, of course, our, my clients support uh, the notion of the freedom of the press, but uh, the freedom of the press ends uh, when there's an infringement of the constitutional right to privacy. And that is the point that we argued, is that numerous of these documents, which is in excess of 4,000 confidential documents, um, included in those documents are, are personal details, such as birth certificates of children, visa applications, um, you know, and then on a commercial side, very confidential information pertaining to um, very complex mining regularities and procedures, uh, which is the intellectual property of our clients. And, and that is why they were so adamant to protect uh, the, the disclosure of these documents, because it could hold severe commercial uh, repercussions for the companies, but also that they are private documents which uh, should never be in the public realm and which is now in the hands of, of the media. And it's, uh, they, they were but you and I both know that... You and I both... They were placed in the hands of the media... Uh, by an erstwhile employee who stole the documents, and the police are investigating this matter, and uh, we have uh, full faith that uh, that a prosecution will follow from this matter. So, again, you know, the the right, the freedom of the media uh, ends when that amounts to an infringement of the constitutional right to privacy. Yeah, but you and I both know that the limitation to the right to privacy uh, exists or is or is invoked when there is a clear public interest, as is the case argued by Amabungane, uh, evidenced in the articles that they had published, where there is clear questions to be answered about impropriety in business operations and relationships pertaining to your client. And so there is clear 
public interest. Uh, the jurisprudence on the balance of public interest and privacy is well determined. Well, there's a big difference between public interest and what is interesting to the public. Uh, the multi group of companies don't perform any services on behalf of the government. They uh, are not uh, reimbursed by any taxpayer's money. They are a private company. So that argument must still be held. Um, you know, the, again, the, the judgment by Roland Sutherland did not address these facts. It merely addressed the fact that, yeah. um, in, in his view, an export application was the, the wrong way to uh, ensure the, the relief that, that our clients sought. Uh, you know, we made it clear as to why the application was brought on an export basis, and our clients stand by that notion. Yeah. Um, just just to correct what you said earlier, this was not an appeal heard by Judge Roland Sutherland. It was, in fact, a reconsideration application. So right. when an order is granted ex parte, then the court always right, allows yeah. for a reconsideration application to be brought to review that ex parte order that was granted. And this is uh, exactly what happened here. Yeah, yeah. Just to circle back to the public interest uh, and versus privacy conversation, your argument is that the Motti Group does not do business with the state. In fact, it does not benefit from taxpayer money or uh, renders any services to the benefit of taxpayer money. It's a private company with private operations, with private interests. Uh, But surely that changes when some of the allegations evidenced in some of the documents are that your client could potentially have allegedly uh, manipulated uh, the a foreign government, i.e. in this instance the government of Zimbabwe, uh, then it becomes an in, uh, a question of public interest because it invokes questions around state capture. Was there an attempt at the Motti Group to capture the government of Zimbabwe? Surely that is way above what would be ordinarily the litmus test of public interest. Well, our clients obviously deny that. They have very successful businesses in uh, Zimbabwe and the Zimbabwean society uh, benefits greatly from it in uh, thousands of jobs that are afforded to them and uh, and they run very successful businesses there so you know whether the, the, I, I don't agree with you that the articles published show that there was any impunity or, or, or that there's any impropriety relating to the, the Zimbabwean governments and, and our clients deny that from the outset um, again, that that was not brought to light in the judgment handed down by Roland Sutherland. Um, yeah. he, he did not deal with with the content of the articles, and and our clients remain firm of the, firmly of the view that documents were stolen from them, uh, unlawfully stolen by a disgruntled and erstwhile employee. That that is a criminal offence because it amounts to intellectual property belonging to the companies. Uh, yeah. that the South African police services are in the process of investigating this and, and that um, until such time as, a, as a, a ruling is made on the criminal matter that is pending, uh, there should be no publishing of any of these documents or the content of. You know, our argument is that if we live in a society where any private company's intellectual property is stolen and then distributed to the media, then... Uh, you know, publish articles pertaining to saying that, um, you know, that would be a severe infringement of our yeah. constitutional right to privacy and that and that companies would not be able to do proper business in that regard because there's yeah. very sensitive commercial documents contained in these, 
these documents that are in the possession of Amma Bungani, and that is exactly the reason why we brought the interdict application. Yeah, but I mean, the evidentiary test for whether this is in the public interest doesn't mm-hmm. uh, doesn't solely rest on whether or not your client uh, concedes or denies its relationship with the Zimbabwean government. Uh, that is a matter should uh, it should your client have a case to be made for it can seek recourse through either a retraction from Amabungani's publications or a correction with an Amabungani's publication should there be any sort of inaccuracies and a normal court uh, court process would be able to establish that. But pertaining to the recourse, a retraction or an apology or a correction on part of the publication does exist. Um, and on the other hand, the real recourse for stolen documents in this instance would be with Mr. Clinton, Faniker, who you, your clients have, 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 have opened a case against and prosecution uh, will commence and you're quite confident that a successful prosecution will take place over there. That's the extent of, of the recourse you can get there, right? Well, the recourse of a retraction of an article is hardly any recourse. Once it is out in the public domain, it is there. Um, it will forever be uh, on the internet. It will forever be easily accessible through a basic search. So, you know, that is what our clients are adamant about. That the minute that the articles are published and this disclosure of confidential information takes place, then they stand to suffer great financial and reputational harm as a result of it. Uh, so any retraction of an article is hardly a, a recourse in, in, in our client's opinion. Yeah. And just lastly, are your clients seeking to appeal this uh, reconsideration judgment? Well, there are, there are um, you know, very complex legalities surrounding that, but there are, are numerous options that they are considering at the moment. Uh, this is a constitutional point, point because it relates to the constitutional right of, of um, the freedom of of the media as well as the constitutional right to privacy. So one of the options certainly is to approach the constitutional uh, court in this regard. But, um, you know, we we will study the judgment in detail and and we will advise our clients accordingly and and take instructions from there. Is it, uh, Ulrich, not moot at this point, given that articles have already been published and... Uh, by the time you reached a constitutional court, more articles would probably have been published. In fact, Amabungane could be publishing a slew of articles this week before you even bring an appeal application, and it would have the protection of this judgment. Is it not a bit too late to continue to continue pursuing this? Well, our clients feel strongly about this point, uh, and they feel strongly that, that there must be more clarity uh, regarding this point and, and the so-called blanket uh, protection of the media in all regards and and it certainly is a point that that um you know there 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 is a lot of gray areas surrounding it and and I do think I'm also of the opinion that that uh, we need clarity from the constitutional court in this regard and um you know the, the there's a notion in South Africa that the the, the media have freedom to publish whatever they want, regardless of, of the source of the documents and factors that surround the documents. So I, I share that view as well. Yeah. We need more clarity regarding this. Night Talk, Monday to Thursdays, 10 to midnight.